Um, this morning, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to just talk a little bit about Hanukkah, about the holiday of Hanukkah. And actually, Vlad, I, I forgot my Hanukkah. Can you grab it and bring it to me from the back? Hanukkah is my favorite holiday. Now, the most important reasons are the theological and historical. This is true. But what other holiday gives you not only the opportunity, but the encouragement to eat fried foods? Greasy, oily foods are encouraged at Hanukkah. Amen. I say amen. Amen. Those of you, and I apologize publicly, we ran out of fried chicken on, Friday, on Wednesday night because there was so many of you who showed up, okay? Uh, we, we thought we'd have 30, we planned for 40. 60 people showed up Wednesday night. And it's not even the Hanukkah party. So, uh, but uh, we had fried chicken on purpose. And we will have latkes tonight. And, uh, and it is my hope to eat fried food every single day of Hanukkah. I haven't had fish and chips with a Guinness yet, but I'm going to be working toward that. Hanukkah, though, at its core, is not about fried foods. <laughs> the miracle of Hanukkah... The, the miracle of Hanukkah is not historical. Okay, it's important. Let's be honest. Let's be adults about it. All right? Uh, what occurred is there was a tremendous battle, and we're gonna, I want to go to a couple of texts, but I just want to say that at the outset, okay, the historical facts are that there was a civil war going on in the land. You had good Jews and bad Jews. You had the good Jews who were willing to take a stand for God, for God's Torah, for the chosen people and their, their, commit, their responsibility to be God's people. Those are the good Jews. And then you had the bad Jews. And the bad Jews are really two types of Jews. One are the protagonists. These are the the Hellenizers, the ones that are actually actively engaging with Greek culture. They're actually uh, engaging in paganism. And they're encouraging other people to likewise engage. They're the ones that are not keeping the Torah. They are not keeping Shabbat. They They are celebrating and worshiping in the temples to the pagan gods. They're running around naked in the gymnasium. They're the ones that are that are basically they are forsaking, actively forsaking God's instruction to them. Those are one section of the bad Jews. But there's another section of bad Jews, and those are the ones who are apathetic. They are, they are not really willing to get involved in doing what is good, nor are they all that interested in doing what is bad. They're acting kind of like, like apathetic in regards to these things. They're also bad Jews, though. Because the truth of the matter is, is are you a good person when you're not actively engaging in doing good? No. You know, you can't be good by osmosis. <laughs> you only are good when you engage in doing good. Too many Jewish people today are like that. Isn't that the case? So many Jewish people are apathetic when it comes to their Jewish identity. They're apathetic when it comes to living their lives according to God's instructions. And we can extrapolate that out in terms of too many... Most people today are absolutely not interested in actively living a life that pleases God. So the holiday of Hanukkah is a holiday that at the very core of it is really a a reminder of the faithfulness of God despite a people that generally was lacking faith. 
a faithful God watching over a faithless people, but whom God at least affected enough that a few of them, and just a minority, was willing to stand up and do what is right. So the battle, because we're not going to, I mean, we're going to have a, a battle scene tonight, but, but the, uh, the emphasis tonight uh, is on this. I think it comes out pretty clear in the play. It's, a, it's pretty good. You have to pay attention. It's an adult play, people. So pay attention. Uh, but, and then we're going to show a short little video which gives you a little bit of the history. But what I wanted to, to emphasize just briefly is the fact that, that there is historical realities and then some things that are not. The lighting of the Hanukkah, which we do, where we have eight candles, one for each night, plus a, a Shamas candle. Uh, this is all based off of a legend or a myth that doesn't even develop in the, in the uh, Mishnaic period. It develops in the, uh, in the period following. Uh, Hanukkah uh, is, is mentioned in the New Covenant text. Yeshua is there in the temple precincts during the Feast of Dedication. And so Hanukkah is celebrated as the holiday of dedication. But the lighting of, uh, of uh, Hanukkah, an eight-candle eight, uh, uh, menorah, uh, all of this develops much later, all right? Post-destruction of the temple, post-Mishnaic period. It, 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 it's later in the history of the Jewish people to give us something tangible with which to celebrate the holiday of dedication. So hope you're not too depressed about uh, this myth-busting moment. Uh, but uh, it is the festival of lights, though. No matter what, they, they, there is indications that they, they made bonfires. So for those of you who like large fires, it's still, a, it's still your holiday. Okay? <laughs> now, uh, what I want us to do is I do want us to take a look at some scriptures because I always think it's important on the Shabbat, to be speaking from the text. So turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. As I mentioned very briefly on Wednesday night, uh, Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel contains the only references to the holiday of Hanukkah. And, and yet these references are prophetic. Daniel's written before Hanukkah took place. It's my firm belief, based on all kinds of good reasons, that the book of Daniel is written by a man named Daniel in the land of uh, Babylonia, all right, and then Persia. He's in Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, and he is writing this book as prophecy, a big chunk of it, prophecy to bring encouragement for our people through difficult times. And in Daniel chapter, uh, chapters 10, 11, and 12, well, specifically Daniel's uh, Daniel 10 and 11. These chapters are written to give the Israelis, to give the Jewish people in diaspora a hope of a future. If we go and we look at Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 11, and then you compare these texts to the historical activities of the people in the land during the period after Alexander the Great, you would find that they are amazing. It is almost like a historical document. That's why a lot of people are cynics about the book of Daniel. They say it's impossible for the book of Daniel to be prophetic. It's just too historically accurate. Of course, that's a circular argument. God is God. You don't think he can give you the information before it happens just as well as after? So the book of Daniel provides for us 
the only biblical information in regards to the holiday or in regards to the actions surrounding what will be Hanukkah. The only other reference we have is Yeshua's words about the abomination that makes desolation. Again, a very difficult, traumatic period of time referencing what happened at Hanukkah, but referring to what will ultimately happen at the end. And that is Daniel chapter 12, by the way. So the latter part of Daniel 11 and then Daniel 12 really speak of what will occur in the future. So if you think things have been bad in the past, in the end, before Yeshua the Messiah returns, there will be a time so bad that if God didn't shorten the nourish chitin, the craziness, and the death and destruction, no man, no animal, nothing would be left on this planet. And if it's any encouragement for you, we have the capabilities of destroying ourselves completely today. We all know that. And so this horrible reality will eventually take place. And God willing, I'm not planning to be here for it. But in Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11, verses 29 through 35, uh, we, uh, we have this, this text, which I'm just going to read again. We read it again. We read it Wednesday night, but I'll read it again. But it gives this specific period well, of which we now uh, refer to as Hanukkah. So it's, again, Daniel chapter 11, verse 29. It says, At the time designated, he will come back to the south. But this time things will turn out differently than before, because ships from Kittim will come against him so that his courage will fail him. Then in retreat, he will take furious action against the Holy Covenant, again showing favor to those who abandon the Holy Covenant. Armed forces will come at his order and profane the sanctuary and fortress. They will abolish the daily burnt offering and set up the abomination that causes desolation. Those who act wickedly against the covenant, he will corrupt with his blandishments. But the people who know their God will stand firm and prevail. Those among the people who have discernment will cause the rest of the people to understand what is happening. Nevertheless, for a while they will fall victim to sword, fire, exile, and pillage. When they stumble, they will receive a little help, although many who join them will be insincere. Even some of those with discernment will stumble, so that some of them will be refined, purified, and cleansed for an end yet to come at the designated time. So here, in in these short couple of verses, is a nutshell of the story of Hanukkah. And uh, there's a a couple of things that I want to just kind of, a couple of points I want to make out of this text, okay? And uh, it's this. First of all, sometimes bad things just happen to people. (laughs) All right? You're being a good person. You're being a good Jew. You're doing what God wants you to do. The Greeks come along and they make an edict that basically says, if you worship God, you will die. And you're a good person. You're doing what God wants you to do. And because you're doing what God wants you to do, in the midst of it, some Greek, some Seleucid uh, military person comes up and he kills you. What did you do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. You got caught up in the reality that we are in a broken world. We're in a broken world. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Do you know some people, really good people, that have gone through very horrific circumstances? Do you? Hopefully you do, because... This is a reality. There are good people. There are wonderful followers of the Messiah. People that love God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and they have difficulties that, that don't, they don't even cause themselves. Horrible things that come upon them. They're driving down the street and somebody drinking crashes into them. 
causing them either death or physical, uh, physical harm. Not because of anything they did. We live in a broken world. There is sin in our world. And because of that, bad things will just happen sometimes to followers of God who are very good people. In a particular situation again here, you know, uh, the, the reality is, is that thousands, well, I'd say thousands, but certainly hundreds and hundreds of Jews were killed for following God. And I say that because, you know, numbers are hard. We don't want to mess around too much with numbers. We know that thousands of Jews died, but they, thousands died in battle against the Syrians. But, it, but there are, are martyrologies. There are stories of, of Jewish people who were not fighting against the Syrians, but because they were doing what was good. They were circumcising their sons. They were reading the Torah. They were teaching God's instructions. They were killed. There's the story, the martyrology story, all right, of Hannah and her seven sons. And if you've never read it, I encourage you to go read it. It's horrible. <laughs> and, and it's horrible because of the, the very, very uh, difficult way that each of the sons died. And then ultimately the mother. Is, is that particular story completely historically accurate? I don't know. But, but it's very fair to believe that it's based off of real historical circumstances. All right? Sometimes good people who love God, who are doing all that God wants, get caught up in a very sinful world and are affected because of the horrific, sinful realities of this world. We should never let that harm us in our faith. Instead, what we should do is turn to God and always remember that with God, we're on the right side. If we are following God and doing what God wants and living our lives according to his instructions, we're on the right side. No matter what happens to us in this world, we win. Daniel chapter 12, at the end of the book of Daniel, God says to Daniel, Daniel, you're going to go the way of all men. You're going to die. <laughs> oh, that's great news. But don't worry, because in the resurrection, you're going to live. The, the, the best statement in regards to death and, death and resurrection and death and resurrection uh, resulting in, in, in good for the believer and bad for the non-believer is there at the end of the book of Daniel. If you haven't read it for a while, go read it. But for those of us who are following God, even if things are not going the way we would like them to, we have the assurance, the knowledge, the encouragement that no matter what happens, God is with us. And no matter what happens, in the end, we win. Because we will spend an eternity with the God of Israel in resurrected bodies. And that, by the way, was an important truth you see that throughout the, the literature uh, of, the, of this period, the book of Maccabees and other pieces of literature, is the understanding of the resurrection. The fact that even if our bodies die, even if we go through physical death, we will be resurrected to new life. All right? that, is, that is the firm belief of the martyrs. That's the firm belief of the Maccabean. Okay? Bad things will happen because we live in a broken world. You know, sometimes though bad things happen because we make bad choices. This is, this is really critical, all right? In the, uh, in the story of Hanukkah, uh, there were some people that, that were getting caught up. As I said, the big, biggest chunk of Jews in the story of Hanukkah were, were the Jewish people that were not choosing to do good, 
really actively or to do bad really actively, but many of them were making bad choices. The worst choice being they weren't being aggressive in pursuing their relationship with God through following God's instruction. People make that choice today. It's a bad choice. If you are not passionately, actively desiring to live your life according to God's instructions, then you're making a bad choice. Making a bad choice. You might ask, well, 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 how religious do I have to be to make a good choice? It's not that. Don't think in terms of religion. Think in terms of relationship. How passionate are you to know God and to want to live for him? Are you making choices that will encourage and facilitate that relationship with him? You know, good choice. I'm going to make time every day. I'm going to read my scriptures. Bad choice. I'm going to make myself so busy with television and video games that I have no time left over for God. Okay, that's pretty, that's pretty blatant, right? It's easy. You can all understand that. How many of you, though, struggle with making time each day to read God's instruction? I know this is a chronic problem because I talk to people. Choices don't have to be, I think I'm going to go kill somebody today. You know, that's a really bad choice. I agree, bad choice. But you know what? Sometimes the most, really the worst choices for us as followers of God is then when we, is a choice which limits our ability, whatever it is, to grow in our relationship with God. You know, working hard, moving forward in life, getting your education, those are all good choices unless those choices inhibit your ability to follow God and do what he wants. You know, the Greeks were really big into exercise. Exercising's good, very good. Some of you should try it. Exercising is a good choice unless exercising leads to uh, uh, limiting your relationship with God. It, it limits your ability to, to stay connected with God through prayer, scripture reading, fellowship. Work is a good choice. I think that we all need to learn how to work hard and to be effective on our jobs, whatever it is that you do. But if your work inhibits your relationship with God, you need to understand that that, that, that choice then becomes bad and you need to do whatever you need to do to dial it back so that you can grow effectively the way God wants you to do. Same as with your education. Same as with your relationships. Friends are good. How many of you have friends, though, that inhibit your relationship with God? You have friends like that, you need to get rid of them. Well, that's harsh. Yeshua says, he says this in his uh, talk on the hill, if somebody finds that a part of their body is inhibiting their relationship with God, they should cast it away from them. Now, I'm not going to encourage anybody here to pluck out your eyes. But if you knew that if, if you didn't cut off your arm, you would be dead, I'm sure that many of you would just happily submit to the buzzsaw. Because, let me think about it, lose an arm or die. What's the good choice? <laughs> I, I dare say very, very few people. There's that uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, uh, what Lieutenant... Dan wants to die in battle. And Forrest says the chutzpah to go and save him. 
And then when he finds out that he's lost his legs, he wants to die. But how does it end up at the end of the movie? You know, he's married. He's got, he's got a, a job. He's got a reason to live. He's got legs. Even good things can become bad choices if it inhibits our relationship with God. The struggle in the story of Hanukkah is you have these Jewish people that are engaging with these Greek things. Some of them not bad, but these things are inhibiting them. They're turning them from God. And so they become bad. We all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. Some of you don't struggle enough with it. <laughs> and you give into it. And so you, your effectiveness for God, your, your relationship with God, it suffers. You know, we think about this as Jews. I mean, you know, I, I live in a, you know, our neighborhood over here. It's pretty, pretty traditional. And, uh, and uh, you know, I look at these individuals, very successful people, who manage to do very well in life by not working on Shabbat and taking off the holidays and giving significant amount of money to tzedakah, to charity. When we struggle a lot, we struggle a lot. You know, again, the story of Hanukkah is the pagan pressures of Hellenism. The pagan pressures of Hellenism destroying the Jewish people. We see this a little bit. Again, if you haven't read it, go back and read. Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. And you see the radicalness of Ezra and Nehemiah in their own different ways in seeking to preserve the Jewish people, challenging our people toward identity, toward in marriage, toward observance. At the end of the book of Malachi, the very last of the prophetic books, the end of the, the, end of the, the prophetic literature is the challenge of returning to the Torah. Revival is living out the Torah for us as Jews. We pray for revival. It's in our sheet, right? For revival to come to Skokie. For us, that means that we are living lives more and more committed to God's Torah. Choices we make that are consistent with God's expectation for us as Jews in living out his instructions and being a light to the nations, being encouragement to the rest of the body of Messiah, of God's faithfulness. So Hanukkah is a holiday, really at the core of it, where people were making good choices and bad choices. And sometimes because people were making good choices, they got killed for it, because bad things will happen to good people. And then some of them were making very bad choices and doing really well at it. We talk about... Uh, about the uh, Civil War in, 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 in the story of Hanukkah. And again, if you haven't read about it in a while, go look at Wikipedia. But the bottom line is, is you have these different influences in the land, and some of these really bad people, all right, especially among the, the, the priestly class, I don't know why, but the priestly class uh, was doing really well because they controlled the temple, and, and some of them were making a lot of money. And they were living a great life. And, and taking people down and discouraging their, their following of God. Bad people doing well. It does happen. It does happen. But regardless of whether we suffer for doing good, or regardless of whether the bad people do really well, 
For us, we want to remember that God has called us to follow him and that it is ultimately our relationship with God and what that means and what we make of that that makes a difference for eternity. And so the story of Hanukkah reinforces that important truth. Well, uh, the last thing I want to say on this, and then I'll wrap it up, is that uh, it was the very, very few who ultimately had to lead the many at Hanukkah. It was the very, very few that led the many. It was the minority, small minority. We always think Judah HaMaccabee, Judah the, Judah the Hammer, right? Well, it was him and his brothers, and it was a small guerrilla group. What happens is, is there's a video about this. Uh, somebody standing on the hill doing something stupid, and somebody else joins them, and then somebody else joins them. Over a period of time, a few more people join, and then you've got a movement going, all right? So what it is is that ultimately any movement begins with one or two idiots who are willing to get out front of everybody else to do what is hard. And that is to set the way. Just one or two people who are willing to get ahead of everyone else, to stand out from the crowd, to do what needs to get done. And that's what happened at Hanukkah. A couple of people. Uh, The story is it was Mattathias and, and his family. It was really the old man. It was the old man who took the knife and killed the Jew who was going to sacrifice a pig on the altar in Modin. Mattathias took action. Because he took action, his sons took action. Because his sons took action, others took action. And when you study the story and you read the book of Maccabees, 1 Maccabees, you see that there is a movement that develops. The very, very few who are willing to do what is right, who are willing to stand up for God, who are willing to die for their faith, attract others. Because everybody's looking for a reason to live. Everybody's looking for a movement to join. Well, maybe not everybody, but enough people. And so some of those people that are not being good in the middle, suddenly they see what's going on and they get convicted. And so they take action and they go from being bad Jews to being good Jews. They go through tshuva, they go through repentance. And they begin to actively participate in the movement. Hanukkah and the story and and the results, all of this came about slowly over time because a few people were willing to take action. And it led to a movement. It led to revival and renewal among the Jewish people. It led to a recommitment to Torah, a recommitment to worshiping God, a recommitment to understanding the uniqueness of our identity. I think that some of you need to have time to think about the story of Hanukkah for yourselves. You need time to consider where you're at on the scale. I don't know anybody in here who's like, you know, uh, you know, on the far side of patently, you know, inst- instigating, you know, tray feeding in the, in the shul. But some of us are a little more ambivalent. We're a little complacent in terms of our life, whether it's in, in terms of our spiritual life, our relationship with God, or our commitment to living out God's instructions as Jews who believe in Yeshua. The holiday of Hanukkah is the holiday to consider how it is that God wants us to live. God wants us to live lives of radical commitment to him, recognizing that in him is life, recognizing that all that matters in the end is what we do for him. And then secondly, that God has called us. You are here today because you have a connection to the Jewish people. 
All right? You were born into this. Are you married into this? This is your community, and therefore it's your responsibility to identify, to live out God's instructions, to accept the role of the chosen. To accept the role of the chosen. That you have a job to do that no, almost nobody else in the whole world can do. Because Jews are only about, I'm not even getting to the percentage, there's only about 14 million Jews in all the world out of the 7 billion people. So the unique work that God wants for us to do that's articulated in the Hebrew Scriptures as well as in the New Covenant text specifically, go look at Romans 9, 10, and 11. Almost nobody can do that but the Jewish people. And yet of our people, we are a remnant, a very small remnant. And so the burden and the responsibility is on us. Will you accept the responsibility? Will you accept the role that God has called you to play? Are you willing to submit to doing what is hard? And that is being that vanguard, just a few people doing what needs to get done, praying that others will join from among our people. Others will accept who Yeshua is as Messiah. Others will live their lives committed as Jews who believe in Yeshua. It gets a little lonely. But it was lonely for Elijah, right? Eliyahu didn't have a crowd. (laughs) He was pretty alone. Uh, I think that uh, you look through the text, you see all kinds of lonely people doing the things that God wanted them to do. David was by himself running away from Saul, but then others came to join him. So as we live our lives doing what God wants us to do, assuming the responsibility he has for us as Jews who believe in Yeshua, I think that God will add to our numbers. But you have to be willing to do the work and to do what is hard, to endure despite the circumstances of life, the opposition of others. In fact, the bad things do happen to good people. The last thing I want to mention is, uh, you know, it's a good thing to mention uh, Jeremiah 31 and uh, the fact that ultimately God will renew our people. Uh, The whole chapter, though, the section is, it also includes statements about our rebellion. You know, as Jewish people, we tend to be rebellious. We tend to be rebellious. But you know what? God, because of his love for us, is going to bring renewal. So even if you might feel that sometimes you're a bit alone in the process of standing up for what God wants and living your life for him as a Jew who follows the Messiah, Yeshua, understand that you are not alone and understand that it's God's desire to bring renewal and to bring change and to bring healing and hope for our people and the world. And so as I conclude this, my, my, uh, my hope for you is that you would be willing to stay as a fa- faithful follower. If you've not been faithful, repent and start faithfully following God. But also that you would do it as a faithful Jew. The Lord our God is faithful. He will never abandon us as his people. And he calls us to be his people, a light to the nations, and an encouragement to all. And I encourage you to think about these ideas. Your faith commitment to God, and your faith commitment to God, one in regards your spiritual life, the other in regards to your life as a Jew. That the Lord our God will be glorified through us that he will have his will done among our people and the rest of the world. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you so much, God, for the reality of Hanukkah. 
You have called us to do what is hard, God, just as you called the Maccabean to do what was hard, just as you called Elisha and Elijah and all these people to do what was difficult in their time. And God, I pray that we would stand up for you, that we would understand that you are indeed our rock, the one on whom we stand, and that we would take strength from you, regardless of the opposition we may face. I pray for each one in this room, God, that your spirit would challenge them, that it would really lead them, God, that your spirit would lead them to a more radical faith and a more radical commitment to live their lives as Jews who follow the Messiah, Yeshua. We pray this in Yeshua's name.